If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course. Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Good afternoon, gents. Welcome to this week's live version of the Australian Business Podcast. Good to have you with me. Always. Yeah, thanks for having us. Always, yeah. We're, um, we're running on a fair bit of technology today. We've got Daniel on his iPhone, which is super crisp, the new iPhone 15. Is it a yeah. business expense or a um, personal expense, Daniel? How do you treat that? Oh, it is completely business. All our softwares are linked to the phone. Our office phone links to my mobile, like it's all done through an app, um, as well as my legacy clients who can't forget my mobile that call me at all, all hours. Um, so no, no it, it is mostly work. I don't really do anything else throughout the day except for work. Um, so it cool. is business expense, yeah. Yeah, cool, man. like it. Um, Jordan, you're recording at the work office Oh, sorry, the office, and you've um, we've discovered your internet is probably the the issue, not the webcam that we've been. Uh, you've gone out and resourced, but that's okay. We're all here. Um, yeah, just, just <laughs> we just made the connection. <laughs> um, the internet was like, oh, sorry, you guys on Optus. Um, <laughs> so many businesses were affected by Optus this week. I was trying to ha- have meetings. Um, yeah, it's pretty. Pretty insane. I don't know if you guys had to cut any meetings this week, but I definitely had to cut a few because it just people couldn't connect. So you know what, what was funny about that as well? Well, not funny. In hindsight, it's funny, but the reliance that we have on the little things like even maps. My partner had to go and see a client and she had to stop at like three different places to connect to Wi-Fi to work out how to get to where this meeting was. So it wasn't just the phone calls, but even like things that we don't think about, like maps. Yeah. Bring back the book directory in the side of the car, I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the dashboard, it's like five years old and doesn't yeah. have the yeah. latest streets. <laughs> yeah. I um yeah, those things. It's crazy how as someone who studied like computing and networking at uni, I remember thinking to myself, the whole world is going to the internet and away from like radio and all those other mediums. How 
amazing that is for like businesses and for countries and people, but how dependent we are on this one network, like being the internet. And the backbone of that is like the telcos, right? Like the Telstra, Optus in Australia. Um, We don't really let Huawei do anything anymore in Australia. So uh, just basically those two. And it's just insane, like the redundancy. Um, I, was, I don't know if I was saying to you guys, but at home, because I rely on the internet so much, we have the Telstra MBN. We paid for the fiber to the premises. We paid extra for that. You can do that. Maybe that's an option or probably not an option for your office, but you can actually pay extra as long as you commit to three years um, at the premises. Um, the, the telcos often will install it. And then um, we also have our hotspot for our phones, like we're doing today. And um, we have Starlink as well, which you can just start and cancel and start and cancel when you want it. So how's the speed on that on Starlink? It's super fast if you want like downloads and that. It's just the um, you see the the dish moving like it finds another um, satellite's going overhead, and what happens is there can be up to a five second delay when that happens in your bandwidth. Um, But it makes up for it, so you don't lose a lot of frames. But it's probably not the best for streaming a hard wide connections the best yep. anyway every week we answer some questions we've got a question today about um, how to buy a cafe which is a question we kind of get a bit on the show is like how do you do that so we'll talk about that but um the other things that we've been working on is we try and bring you know a learning to the to the community every week things that we've discovered this week mistakes we've made whatever jordan maybe start with you mate um yeah what's what's been on your mind what have you been doing um this week been focusing on email marketing Um, And I guess one of the key learnings for me was that it doesn't need to just be used as a marketing tool. It can also be used in operations um, in terms of like client onboarding. So the way that we do it is used to do it is (laughs) still got the Halloween names. The way that we we used to do it is um, we'd send out like a Word document and then the client would have to send it back. But what we're building out at the moment is just an email with with a form, essentially the same fields as what the Word doc was, but now it's just much more streamlined and there's less margins for error human error so So you that out so you're sending client requests and data like sourcing through active campaign is that what you're using yes that's what we're moving towards yeah active campaign is the software and the reason for that is there's two probably two reasons we were speaking about before we started um is one the email function is fantastic and it also gives you uh crm functionality so like to manage leads and conversations and whatnot so that's the reason we went for active campaign as opposed to maybe a mailchimp or pipe drive and whatever the other ones are so do you use pipe drive as your crm no so now we just use i use active campaign as a crm too it's got um like dual functionality yeah cool that's one of the things that's super powerful about drip which is what we use is that you have super super powerful uh automation and email marketing but um it's also, it's basically a CRM. Like if you don't need Salesforce and that extreme like depth of data and expense, frankly, um, you can go with something probably like Active Campaign or what we've done, which is Drip. Um, and you can automate and also collect forms, embed forms and stuff. For anyone using a WordPress website, you can embed it with Elementor if you use Elementor on your website. Um, and you can do that for Active Campaign with Elementor as well. So you can collect all that information straight from your website without having to manually collect any of it, um, which is really cool. That's good because that will save you a lot of time, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, heaps of time. Um, just order, trying to automate the process as much as we can just so nothing gets 
lost or, or left behind because as you as we continue to scale and scale up we just need to make sure that there's nothing falling through the cracks so that's why we're focusing on that i'm just looking at drip is that um for service-based businesses and for like your e-com type stuff product-based businesses it's more product-based businesses so it's more like e-commerce businesses but we use it like we use it mm. for all of our digital assets um and you could use it for service-based i don't know how effective it would be that sort of stuff if i'm honest um, yep. But yeah, it's like a massive, massive step up from anything else. Is this so? Obviously, you guys are a service-based business. Um, what were the options that you were considering? It was like um, Active Campaign. There was Pipe Drive, and there was um, Mailchimp. Yeah, and there was one other one, but I, I can't remember what it was called. It was mainly for product-based businesses and like um, influencers and that type of stuff. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, MailChimp has over 50% market share. It's a billion dollar a year business. It's now owned by Intuit. So you can see where they're trying to take it, right? They're trying to take MailChimp into the realm of full CRM accounting software, like the full business suite in one place, which is kind of cool. Um, and you said, just finally on this, you said that you um, saved 25% on this software by paying up front? Yeah, I think it was 20 or 25%. It's something we've actually started to move towards with all the software subscriptions. Um, now that we're a bit more established, at the start, it's just trying to keep those upfront costs as low as possible. Mm. But as we've started to get traction and establish ourselves in the market, it's something that we've started to do. And the savings are quite significant. I mean, there was an app um, the other day that we were looking at, and there was a saving of 40% over like, and that, that's, that was huge because I think it was like a thousand US dollars. So on that app, we saved 40%. Whereas, you know, rewind two years ago, we wouldn't have done that because yeah. we just, we couldn't. So that's mm. something that we've started to do now is just wearing this cost up front um, as opposed to 12 months and and, and having a, a saving. Because all the software, all, all the software that I see, every time you pay it annually, you always save money. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of anything where you don't save money for paying mm. it annually. But I was just trying to think, like it'd be pretty hard for something like Drip to because our database is pretty big now. It'd be pretty hard for them to accurately forecast what our costs are going to be i feel like you might pay overs or unders like i don't know because like mailchimp does an estimate of your billing which is it, it always yeah. annoys me it's but interesting because yeah. active campaigns the same i'm just looking at it now on the billing page and like we get x amount of contacts and then it scales up so i think it's just a top-up maybe it's a top-up payment i'm not too sure how that would work especially where there's seats um or contacts that determine how much you pay yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to – yeah, we easily pay over a 1000 bucks a month, easily. Um, and I don't I don't know exactly what it is, but I think because we've got so much automation running through it, they've got us by the short and curlies. Um, they have us and we can't move. So it's a super good business model for them. Um, I'm just – there are comparisons on all of the websites. I'm sure they all favour – one way or the other, but um, here's a comparison between Drip and Active Campaign for anyone watching. I'll bring this up on the screen. Um, See, so most of the websites have these product review pages where you can put two things side by side. Just maybe go to each of the websites to view what actually is happening. Um, so this is obviously on the Drip website, so there's a big thumbs up for Drip. Um, but yeah, go and check it out. I it took me ages to find this. I was originally stuck on Mailchimp for all digital marketing, and then I was like, oh gosh, I've got to get off this ASAP. 
Um, it was just clunky. But one of the things I noticed before, mate, was that um, with uh, Active Campaign, it's got that uh, it's got an AI sending tool, which I've never seen before from any of them. I'm sure they'll all integrate this eventually, and it adjusts the sending time of the email based on when the recipient is most likely to open it, which is super powerful. Like, yeah, when you think about that, like we normally just in the marketing industry, it would normally be like Tuesdays and Thursdays are good days. Like send it in the uh, like midday or Arvo. Those are great days for sales emails. That's so if true. You could, if, if you could send it based on what each individual person is doing, that's incredible. Yeah. Even on, on that, what I find sometimes is you can tell when certain businesses are using the same platform because you get emails at the exact same time. And the interesting one, the most recent one was the RBA rate rise on Tuesday. If you all the brokers sent out <laughs> the same email, essentially, with maybe five or six variations and like at the exact same time. And it happens yeah. for that. Um, Black Friday is very similar as well, where you get five or six emails at once and you're not even going to look at it. So the fact that Active campaign can identify when you're on your phone the most and you're most inclined to buy or make a purchasing decision is is, is huge. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I noticed with the new Mailchimp thing as well. There's a new tool inside Mailchimp. I think it's called Creative Assistant or something. I could be wrong. Um, when you create um, a new marketing list and you are a new Mailchimp user, and you just link your website to Mailchimp, which you have to do anyway for them. Um, it will automatically read the website's like look and feel and it will port all the images and all the look and feel and the font across to your email software. So it kind of re replicates what's on your website and it does it mm. without you even doing anything. It just That's automatically crazy. picks up on that. So you don't even need to, des to design your email. It just does it all for you, which is kind of huge time-saving hack for anyone that's starting starting down this road. Um, sure. Cool. So, Daniel. What have you been up to this week, man? Well, as you can tell, Jordan handles all of that for us. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like scratching my head. I was like, oh, I didn't even know we did that. I don't even know the software we used. Like, Jordan just gets it done. Um, it's fantastic, actually. Um, with me, we've actually gone through a bit of a transitional period with uh, some senior staff members. So we've got one leaving us, unfortunately, but um, we do have someone else joining the team. Um, so that's been a, a cool process going back and forth. I always hate setting up computers, to be very honest, um, between all the software, <laughs> sending invites, going back and forth, verification codes, 2FAs. Uh, oh, you, yeah, chaos. Um, so that actually took that took up majority of my time. Whenever I had a spare minute to work on the business, that's what I was doing. Everything else was work-based. Um, so now that we've got um, a really heavy, call it manager level, he's not even a senior accountant. He's, he's definitely more than a senior accountant. He's in context been a chartered accountant for 25 years, coming in with a wealth of experience. So um, we're looking forward to having him on the team. He's done two days for us and they've been very impressive already. And we're looking forward to sort of bringing mm -hmm. on board. So a lot of my week was just back and forth with the lawyers, just making a few adjustments to employment contracts, um, yeah. onboarding new, new devices, new logins, computers, getting all that sorted and then sorting through the workload of transitioning from one manager or one senior accountant looking after it to the next and just making sure the notes are really spot on, just trying to make sure no one, you know, is missed, I suppose. Do you, um, we're talking about this, do you have like a system for this? 
in like a workflow onboarding. system. Yeah, for onboarding. No, not onboarding. It's it, we haven't had to onboard that many. We haven't had to transition any positions as of yet in the last sort of two years. Um, and we've onboarded a couple of employees, but they've been so staggered and it hasn't been too hard. Um, I definitely felt it this time around. So I think creating a process for us now is going to become really, really important, especially with the growth that we're seeing and we're going to have to start onboarding more people. I think it's important for me now to sort of sit back, figure out what my pain points were during that onboarding and actually create a process for the next one. That's probably on me now to identify where the sort of the key um, inefficiencies were. Mm I am um, for anyone that wants an onboarding like process, just general one. Um, there's a link in the show notes to the free business course. In there, there's a section on HR documents, and you can just download all the documents that we use at Rask. Mm. So this would, because like, I think people underestimate how long it takes to onboard someone by at least fifty percent every time. Like you're like, okay, after two months that'll be fine. No, three months, six months. It's just takes so much longer than people realize. Yeah. And so having any type of process helps there, right? So like for us, we have like, if you go to the the Zero website has something for this, like an onboarding checklist, like it shows Mm. like, what is the leave policy? Where is this? And it's just a checklist to guide you through if you're the manager. And then assigning someone as like the onboarding person. So like the, even if they're not their manager, they're the person that kind of buddies up with that new team member. It, It just takes so much stress off the person as you as a business owner, but it also gives responsibility to someone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the hardest thing for us as well is because in that position being a manager, you hold a lot of relationships with clients as well. So it's a lot of that as well, introducing yeah. um, the new staff member to clients. That takes up quite a lot of time too. So Yeah, we, yeah, we, took, we took that old manager off client communications as soon as he hit his like notice period. Um, as soon as that went on, it's like, no, no, every email comes through me, every meeting that was booked, phone call that needs to get scheduled, that now comes through me until we've got that new um, team member on board. So that was, again, you're taking an extra, obviously there's a lot less meetings than what we take, but maybe an extra 20% of meetings um, Mm. throughout the the couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. It's not easy. Um, So the more automated that can be, which is still alive. We're here. We're here. We're doing it. Um, just, just. Yeah, it was funny. I actually had oh, the couple of meetings I did have with some of the, the clients. They were like, I can't believe you're taking this call. Like, it's so basic. I was like, it's got to get done. And I think it's one of those things for business owners where regardless of how small the task is, it's up to you to get make sure it's done, whether it's by someone or yourself. Um, mm. So, it was, you know, it was cool. And yeah. It's good, good chance to touch back with the customers that you might not have spoken to for a while as well. What's been happening with you, Owen? How's your week been? <laughs> uh, it's been a long week, man. So uh, <laughs> if I don't look tired, I am. Um, no, it's been a yeah. It's yeah. It's too pixelated to tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's been a long week. Like uh, yeah, I think one of the lessons for me this week is I've been working on something for about uh, ten or eleven months, just in the background. And um, we're we're relying on a, on a party to help us, like a tech and finance platform, to help us with that. And um, that business has basically gone up for sale. I could put it that way. Um, so meaning that that business that we were relying on for everything has now reached a point where it's like, well, we're going to go up for sale. Um, so they've had to reduce some staff members. 
uh, and put everything on the back burner while they go through the sales process. And this is right when we're about to launch this new service for our community. So I've hired people. I've got, you know, 10 months of time and energy committed to this. Um, And then at the last moment, um, the, the party that we're relying on, uh, can't fulfill their end of the bargain. So basically what that, it's what we call in uh, any type of business, we call it counterparty risk. And like one of the things that um, I thought about, because I've got it on the top of my mind, when you said, Jordan, that you get 25% discount on, or 40% discount on that app, I was like, geez, that's pretty steep discounting. I wonder why they need the money so much. Um, well, maybe it's just to get people in the ecosystem. But I think like as a business owner, you have to always be aware of who you're dealing with, particularly when you get to scale. It's like, is this business viable? Like how much of my business is dependent? Like in in investing, when we look for companies to invest in, we look in for businesses that are called mission critical, meaning that they're like services or products are like, they are ingrained in their customer's life. And so for example, imagine if, if for me it was drip or for you it was active campaign went down or zero for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine if that went down, right? So I'm packing up my things and leaving. Yeah. I'm walking out the door. <laughs> I'd age 30 years yeah. in two days, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's why I own shares in zero. In disclosure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, if that happens, then um, your business, what impact does that have on your business? And that's what we call counterparty risk. And um, that's a huge thing that people underestimate um, because as their business grows, I don't think they p- place enough, enough emphasis on it. So I put in place steps for this. Like I, um, for this particular business, I wanted financials. I wanted like pitch decks. I wanted um, like at numerous calls with the team. I deliberately slowed down the process of onboarding. Um, and also, you know, I did things like um, reference checks on the company that we're getting into business with, like called existing customers, emailed existing customers, did all of this, um, and still this happens. So, you know, that's just the reality. And um, now I've got to deal with that. So now it's going to probably, I don't know, it could take one month, it could take six months to figure out. So um, such is life, such is business, I guess. Um, You can plan and plan and plan, but then Sometimes shit, it's a fan, so to speak. So that's where I'm at. Been a hell of a week. Kind of party risk. Who knew? Um, so two other things we wanted to talk about. One might be is the question, which we'll get to in a minute, guys. But just quickly, this idea of using credit cards to fund a business is really interesting because in the consumer land, like when we're talking about like people getting credit cards to buy a fridge or a TV, it sounds stupid. Like it sounds crazy unless you're fully in control. Even then, like we don't talk about it much at RASC because of that reason that people can't control themselves. But in business, we hear about it happening all the time. Businesses getting credit cards, businesses earning rewards, businesses, you know, getting loyalty benefits from having a business credit card. So I guess for you guys, do your clients typically use credit cards? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of, of either credit cards or, or overdrafts, whatever it may be. We we personally, like Daniel and I, use um, credit card for the business. And the main reason for that is just for the travel benefits, given we do a bit of traveling for work. Um, and like those benefits are points, like when we're traveling for work and just to like only talking about work here, not using those points personally, but for work, there are times where we won't have to pay for flights. And yes, yeah. the flights are a tax deduction, but at the end of the day, you're still paying the money. Um, hotels as well. You get discounts at hotels. So they do have their 
their pros and cons and like it's really important that you're still paying them off at the end of the term so like we always pay it to zero every month um mm. they're not for everyone because some people whether it's buying a fridge or it's investing in your business it's like if you don't pay it out right you're still going to incur interest regardless although that interest is tax deductible it's still a cost that you're incurring so mm. it's a fine line as long as you yeah. can stay on top of it they can be great but they can also be detrimental as well when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah, I think I think to sort of touch on one of the points you said, Owen, I think using it to fund your business, I would go completely against it. Credit cards are there to be a tool to help benefit your business, whether it's to extend the your cash flow periods. So let's say, for example, you have to wait sometimes 60 days for an invoice to come through. A credit card becomes really useful in that scenario because let's say, for example, the Amex one, there's a 55-day period from paying something to making the repayment it's aligning the invoice sort of your debtor days with when you're actually spending the money. Because a lot of the time, especially in some of the larger call it construction companies, they need to do a claim on the 20th day for the next month that is then paid the month after. Like you're talking about 60 to 90 days mm. payment terms, whereas things still need to get paid for the job to continue during that period of time, not just for that invoice, but for the next two invoices that you're gonna incur for the next two months worth of work. Cash flow becomes really difficult. That's where credit cards are useful. When you know the money's coming in, it's you're using it from a time basis. If you're getting a credit card to call it spend on the business just for the sake of spending on the business, hoping you're gonna generate more revenue, mm. that's when it becomes a very dangerous game because these aren't long-term loans where you've got small repayment periods over a period of time. It's like, okay, I'm going to spend $10,000 now. Guess what? Next month, you're paying it. Whether you mm -hmm. like it or not, it's got to get paid. You start accruing too much debt. Like ATO debt, it is so hard to recover from as a small business. It's not like a simple, oh, I'll just make the money and we'll, we'll recover. It's unfortunately not that simple. Mm -hmm. We've seen clients go into liquidation because of credit card debt. It just got too much. It just got too out of hand. Mm -hmm. So... I think funding a business with a credit card, very difficult. Using a credit card to enhance what you're currently doing and create better efficiencies and improve your, like, call it cash flow, that's generally the best benefit for it. That's, I think that's a really good tool if you know how to manage it, like Jordan said. Yeah, yeah, it's like be careful with it, right? With well, great you, use it for a purpose, not just yeah. like for the sake of having a credit card or even yeah. for like a point system. It's like, oh, I'm going to make points on it. It's like, yes, but... That shouldn't be the sole purpose of it. So the purpose of it should be to retain as much cash as possible or if you're getting paid too slow to help deal with the data days that are too much. There's other benefits that the credit cards can have for you. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those murky areas where you talk about it and people might go and use it for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. Um, I think you should also shop around like um, – Daniel mentioned Amex before. That's what I've got for Rask. But there are other options that everyone will be willing to offer you if your financials are looking mm -hmm. good. Um, but just be very mindful of how you set it up, the interest periods, the terms, that sort of stuff. Um, in terms of overdrafts, do you have many clients that do overdrafts for their business? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple. Um, they would usually want a lot more security 
than a, a credit card. Like a, some of them would want a property of some sort because the amounts can generally be quite large and it's a revolving facility. Um, but I'd say credit cards are definitely more common than the overdraft because it's just a lot easier to get them. Yeah, spot on. The barrier to entry to credit card is very, very low, whereas an overdraft, they want a longer period of trade. And like Jordan said, sometimes they want security. Um, they want more or less a full dock application like any other loan. Um, but the people that do get it, there is a benefit to it because with credit cards, you can't pay wages. I know there's apps that link to credit cards that help you sort of do that, but an overdraft can help you pay any bill, whether a credit card can pay it or not, like call it wages. Wages is probably the best example um, to use here. If your account gets low, you can go into it to make sure that your staff and their super and all the things that are important are paid because credit cards can't help you in that department. Mm, yeah, fair. Um, that's a good point. Um, okay, guys, so we've got time uh, for one question, which was, this was a good question that was sent through. So let me just get it up in my notes here. Um, and it come from, I think he gave the name Dirty Dan. I'm assuming it's a he, could be a she, who knows. Um, so Dirty Dan says, hey guys, I'm looking at buying a business. I work in hospitality and have for nearly 10 years. And having my own business is something that I thought that I've thought about in the past. Just the other day, I saw a cafe come up for sale that seems like a good opportunity. I've sent out an inquiry to the broker and I'm waiting, awaiting a reply. Just looking for some advice on what to consider when buying a business, things that might not be so obvious. Thanks. Guys, you do this as your bread and butter. What do you think? Where do you start? Um, I'm happy to sort of kick off a few touch points and then if you yeah. guys want to bounce off them. Um, I'm a big believer in using your current skill set, so I really like that this Dirty Dan's <laughs> focusing on an industry <laughs> that he um, that he knows, right? Yeah. Um, he's saying hospitality. I'm assuming he's got something to do with the like the restaurant cafe game. Um, so that component, I think, is a massive tick in my eyes, industry relevance. Um, mm -hmm. If you're looking for a few things that might not be so obvious, whether you like it or not, the, the cafe game is a cash game. There is a lot of cash that is funneled through those tills. And when you're wrapping up financials, you've got to be careful. You can't just rely on the reports that an accountant gives you because there's a lot that an accountant does not see. Um, the client just does not tell them it's not disclosed. I'd be looking for their Z totals off their point of sale machines, off their tills, and using those to wrap up. Figure out what the associates are taking because they generally do take a significant. So let's say, for example, uh, um, an owner, like, oh, I don't draw a wage from the business, I just work and, you know, whatever profits. Yeah, that's because they're probably taking cash out of the till. Whether you like it or not, yeah. ATO knows it, we know it, everyone knows it. It happens, it's hard to monitor, it's hard to detect. Um, so that's why the Z totals are really important because that's a, generally speaking, like a manual receipt that comes out of the, the machine on a day-to-day -day mm. basis, I'd be focusing on those totals, not the total revenue the financials give you, especially for a cafe. Um, a few other sort of key things is staffing. You notice we've seen cafes that have been purchased and key staff members leave and follow the previous owner. And as soon as that happens, the, the sales drop, whether it's a barista that knows every single you know customer that comes in, knows their order, and it just provides a, a great service overall. That person heads off, you get a replacement, might not be as good at making coffee, might not know the customers as well, might not be that personable. That impacts sales. So when buying a business, key staff is really, really important. Making too many changes is hard. So like if you're going in, don't expect to flip everything on its head, I suppose, because it does impact things. Um, what else can you look for? 
look at the wage ratios, see what the turnover is to the wages, whether it's efficient. Look at staff turnover to see what the culture of the workplace is like, whether people stick around for a long time, whether they don't. So there's quite a, quite a lot with cap. It's a it's a tough game because it's not as contractually solid as let's say for example a professional service game where you know people generally don't move that often. Casuals come and go week to week. Yeah. Um, I'd add maybe as one thing that happens with cafes a lot is uh, leases, is yeah. understanding the the legal, I guess, framework that you're stepping into. So where the lease is, how much that is, if there are incentives or if they're going to roll off, like if the landlord has, you know, put in certain things that might not necessarily be in your favour. So maybe you need things like a grease trap in a cafe, but, you know, they don't want to put it in, so you've got to put it in. Um, which will cost you for their benefit. When does it roll off? What are the scheduled increases, if any? Um, and then the other legal agreements that might come into play, are, like you said, employment contracts, you might want to do something with the business owner where it kind of like restricts them from um, competing with you in the nearby area. Um, you get legal advice for that, uh, as well as any like leases on equipment. So coffee machines are super expensive. They're usually on a lease. Um, those types of agreements where you get your coffee beans from, where you get your supply from, all of those things you want to know and you want to get a complete picture before you roll into it. Um, And those are really important because the lease is a huge cost for these businesses. Cafes are low margin businesses by their nature, so low profit margins. So you need to know what the big lumpy items are that go into making that small profit. Uh, Jordan, anything else? Um, I was going to say restraint of trade as well. I think that's really important, but... You mentioned that. Um, in, even little things like going in there, more from an operation side of things. And I know uh, Dirty Dan has been doing it for 10 years, but it's just, it'll be really good to go in there for maybe a month prior to handover um, yeah. and just familiarize yourself with everything, everyone, even sit there for a full day and just take note of everything that's happening around you. Um, more so from an operation side of things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time with this stuff as well, the owner will stay on for a certain amount of time. I think it's really important that you do that so there can be that handover for customer um, satisfaction, which is what Daniel spoke about with the, that barista. If that barista was to leave, it's chaos. If you can have that manager stay on for a month or two and they're just on a wage, you would agree to pay them a wage of X amount. I think that can be huge as well just to retain those customers. Assuming he's not going to, um, there is a restraint of trade and he doesn't open up next door and then you're in trouble. But even yeah. those restraint of, restraint of trade um, clauses, we've seen them struggle to hold up sometimes in court. So just got to be careful with that. Yeah, and they do. Sometimes they, they do and um, that can apply for employees as well. Yes. Um, but the thing is, like, yeah, you, I mean, it, it varies by state um, and by how the the restraint is interpreted. But, um, yeah, you just want to – sometimes it's enough just to put people off from doing it, right, and I yep. find that as a deterrent more than anything. Um, but I think that's such good advice. Imagine like you go in on day one, you haven't had a handover period and you're trying to find the keys to the till. You don't know where they are. Like these little things yeah. um, matter as well, right? Yeah. yeah, the things you don't think about until you're in there. Um, and that's why it's so important that the owner stays on for a, a period of time so you can try and work all those little things out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say finally is even though something's come up um, – might be availability bias if we apply some psychology to it. Just because something's come up in your area does not mean that you need to buy it. Um, Location plays a huge part in the success of businesses, but that does not necessarily mean that they're all located within your existing employment. Um, You know, I wouldn't buy a cafe unless I've looked at 10 others. 
Like it's a big commitment. So look at just these brokers often do service a few. You can go on um, seekcommercial.com.au. I think we've done this before on the show. Go to Seek Commercial and just search for cafes in the CBD or wherever you are. And you'll probably find that it's like 20 or 30 of them. Um, yeah, and that's that's the reality. Um, and then the other thing you can do is like if it's too expensive, you've got to consider the price to get your accountant to help you with that. But if it's too expensive, what's the cost of just starting from scratch? You know, you've got to weigh all these different things up. So Yeah, and even just on location, um, one of the, the biggest things that we've seen in the last couple of years is these cafes that used to used to run a huge trade in the city. Um, and I, th- yeah. I think this will be regardless of Sydney or wherever you are in Australia is like the numbers are so much lower now because everyone's working from home. So it's really important to, to find that location where you need traffic and foot traffic um, because that can, you know, it, it, can, it can break your business if, if there's no traffic. Yeah, we had Joe Malloy on the Australian Business Podcast from Rumble Coffee Roasters a while ago and a big coffee roaster in Melbourne supplies a lot of cafes around the country. And he was saying in the wake of COVID, it's kind of weird because the really good cafes in the CBD, like the really good cafes, the ones that people seek out, they're still as busy as ever because when you come into the office for two or three days a week, you'll go to the cafes that are good and you can't get closer to home. It's those second and third tier cafes that simply don't have the same, um, I guess, traffic that they had before COVID. And that's, if you're looking at the financials, you might, and you get five years worth of financials, you might see historical results that were really good, um, but haven't been repeated in recent years. So take that into account. Cool. And finally, are you buying a business or a job? Um, as Daniel said, the earnings, maybe the existing business owner isn't paying themselves a proper wage. You've got to be really careful with that. All right, guys, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, there is a link in the show notes or below the video. Uh, soon, not right now, but maybe soon it will have an active campaign um, form there and it will say, you know, we're going to onboard from the Australian Business Podcast and then you can give Jordan some feedback. You can be like, there's a few spelling errors here. I don't, don't know what this bit is. Um, I haven't heard from you. Um, no, but seriously, you can get in contact with Grace Space Advisory for small business, uh, sole traders, companies, however you're running your business, get in contact with Jordan and Daniel over at Grace Space. Uh, you'll find more info on them in the show notes. Well, gents, Friday. Always a pleasure. Live. See you again next Friday. See you, mate. See you, gentlemen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.